Happy New Year. It's 2022. Don't you just feel like you're a brand new person, new goals, new ideas, new year, new you. This is going to be the year that I do all of the things I've always dreamt of doing. This is a common enough feeling that we all experience. This is what marketing tells us. This is what all of the self-help people tell us. This is why we as a human race collectively spend so much money on super, super fancy planners that have like journal prompts and such built into it that we don't use ever again. The new year is definitely a time for reflection and figuring out what we want to do and what we want to try and who we see ourselves becoming. But more often than not, according to statistics and my own anecdotal life experience, which we know is a completely valid form of scientific discovery, we don't always follow through. We stop. We fall off the proverbial wagon. We give up. We get frustrated. Things don't happen. But why? Why does this always happen? In today's show, I interview my friend, Alicia Nasser, who is a behavior expert. We'll get into the episode in a little bit, and she'll tell you all about the super cool certifications and background she has. But her insights into human behavior and how we actually change the way we act, the way we think, the things that we do is fascinating. And I can think of no better person to kick off the time of resolutions than a person who actually understands when they work, when they don't, and what we can do to change it. New Year's resolutions, changing behavior, wanting to be a better human. Why is this stuff so hard to do? And why do we put so much pressure on ourselves to set resolutions, to set goals, and then we suck at them and we fail? This is a question I've been pondering lately, especially as we get to this time of year. So I decided to chat with one of the smartest people I know. She's legit working on a PhD in behavior. She's got credentials and accreditations and certifications out the wazoo. So believe me when I tell you, she knows what the hell she's talking about. Please welcome to Nikki Talks, Alicia Nasser. Wow. What a welcome. Hello. I wish everyone spoke about me with that enthusiasm. Well, I I love you. So it gives you some pomp and circumstance. So tell me, you know, before we dive into the who's, what's, how's of behavior and how we can Mm -hmm. change our behaviors and, and, you know, do things that aren't just a flash in the pan for two weeks and then we forget about doing things. Yeah. How did you get into this field? Like what, what was the journey to the PhD that you're working on right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So they say, you know, research is me search, you know, and that's like a very (laughs) common you know, somehow everyone always goes into something because it, it relates to themselves. But actually for me, it was, it was really, it started with my brother. I started working with individuals with, um, neurodevelopmental disabilities. Um, my brother has autism. And so I went into like, okay, first I started with speech pathology and, um, I was going to help people with disabilities. And then I actually started a master's program that I never finished in Florida. It was speech pathology. 
then I switched gears because a mm-hmm. lot of it, I was like, wow, I've always wanted to understand my own behavior. Mm-hmm. I had done a lot of things in the past that I was not proud of. I had pushed a lot of people away. I had pushed boyfriends and friends and you name it. And I had just done a lot of things that I wasn't proud of. And me search, research is me search. And I'm like, well, if I can, so it, it switched then to helping neurotypical individuals and not focusing on people with in disabilities anymore and focusing on the general population and why we do stupid things sometimes that we wish we didn't do. <laughs> and we do, and we do them and we know in the moment while we're doing them, we're like, ah, shit, I'm going to regret this later. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's so interesting. So it's almost like changing from like, I'll say anecdotal evidence, like, you know, mm-hmm. almost like the idea of like N equals one. I've seen mm-hmm. the thing happen. So that must be the thing, which to mm-hmm. your point, if I'm super like anxious or triggered or upset or tired or hungry, mm-hmm. how I interact with the situation could be completely different when I'm not yeah. those things. Wow. Okay, it's so interesting. As you're telling this story, it, for some reason, I automatically think of like rom-coms, like romantic comedies yeah, where yeah. like you just sit there yelling at the screen. He's a bad person. So what that's what the inner doing? exactly. So that's what your inner narrative does sometimes. And your inner narrative is like, why are you doing this thing? Like, you know, you don't want to be doing this. You know, you're going to regret this later. And so for me, it was like, well, how do we get human beings to understand that to listen to that narrative when it's guiding them in the mm-hmm. right way, but then not mm-hmm. to listen to them when it's guiding them in the wrong way that in ways that doesn't align with their values. But it all stemmed from me just wanting to understand why I was doing what I was doing. So yeah, rom-coms, so- great analogy. There you go. You know, I live for the rom-coms. So you just mentioned inner narrative. Yeah. And when, when you say that, I automatically think of um, when people say, oh, my thoughts kept me up all night because they were running through my head. Like, how does one experience their own inner narrative? It's a great question. So to that, I would say it's not your thoughts that keep you awake at night. It's your relationship to your thoughts. Ooh, deep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because... Because to say that your thoughts are keeping you up at night is to say that your thoughts are separate from you and that Mm. if they're separate from you, they're this entity or this thing that can control you. And when you don't have control over your thoughts, you feel out of control. And what do humans be? What do human beings say? We hate being out of control. Mm -hmm. And so when it's about your relationship to your thoughts. So people go up, oh, they're laying in bed. Oh, here comes that thought again. Oh, did I finish this project, this thing for tomorrow? Am I going to miss that mm-hmm. deadline? Why isn't he texting me back? Like whatever mm-hmm. the, you know, and it just keeps going and going and going. And it's like, well, it, when that's happening, you're experiencing and your relationship to your thoughts is an aversive one. It's one that you're not happy or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't bring you any joy. You're like, I wish this freaking thought would go away. But if mm-hmm. you can understand, but if you can change and reframe it and your thought is this thing that you can actually dictate and navigate which way it's going, it changes the power dynamics from you and your thoughts. And it changes then your relationship to your thoughts, which then changes your life because then you're like, oh. okay, you're like, you're right. Cause then you're laying in bed and you're like, okay, here come these thoughts. Like, but in, instead of being like, Oh, go away or actually going with the thought, you're like, mm-hmm. hold up thought. I have to get to bed. I see that you want to come in here right now and you want to bother me and like go run through my head, but we, I don't have mm-hmm. time for that. Maybe tomorrow we can t- chat, but like right now I need to get to bed. So let's just put your little, this little thought, let's take you and put you aside for right now. I need to get some rest and I can address this tomorrow. Like, and so that's, 
I, I forget actually where your question was, but I hope that. <laughs> no, I just like this idea of an inner narrative and how we talk to ourselves. Cause I, what I think you just said was really interesting. This idea that, you know, our thoughts to our feelings, to our actions, to like long-term, everything kind of has a cascading effect. Yeah. And I think what strikes me about this, and this is one of the reasons I was like, I need to talk about this is we know as, as humans who are, who are aware of our surroundings and the things that are going on that better or different behaviors, better or different ways of thinking, better being kind of like a nebulous, flexible term here. We know that those can help us, but so often we don't help ourselves or we don't go down this road of like, I do want to change this and I am going to change this. It's, It's thinking about changing it, but not actually following through or not you know, doing it consistently for long enough that things can actually change. So where is the disconnect between I know there is a better way and Mm -hmm. I know there's a better way and I've done the better way and the better way is going great. Where does the breakdown happen? That's a good question. I would say a few points. Number one, I think it is believing that um, an alternative can exist for somebody. Mm -hmm. So the person has to believe that an alternative is possible. But into that end, then I would segue, which it's all kind—they're all kind of inter- interconnected—is um, a feeling of helplessness, like this is just how I am. So there's like th- three points. The first one would be believability, believability of your thought, and believability of your um, ability to adapt and to to not just be the way you are, which is then connected to point number two, which is helplessness, mm-hmm. or this is just how it's a. I just um, refer to it as this is just how I am. A lot of people Mm -hmm. will just like, that's their inner narrative. This is just how I am. It's like, Hey, that's not how you are, but that's how you're choosing to view yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to know you have to other choices and possibilities are out there. You just don't, a, you've never framed it in reference to you in your life. And two, you don't believe it's possible. So first we have to get you to believe that it's possible. So those are the first two things that I believe stop people from making. Mm-hmm. And then I think the third most important point is the know-how, knowing how to do mm-hmm. it in a way, in a way that this is the biggest thing. And one of the principles of behavior change is that the response effort cannot be too high. If a response effort, which essentially what that means is you need to contact reinforcement soon mm-hmm. and quick, and you have to get into contact with reinforcement real quick, which is why these long, like fad diets and stuff, they don't work because people are not contacting reinforcement. If anything, it's very aversive to them because they're going mm-hmm. so long with deprivation and they're satiated. And these are all terms that we use in behavior analysis and they're not contacting reinforcement. And when an organism doesn't contact reinforcement, it's not going to continue doing the behavior you want it to do. So Mm -hmm. if a human being doesn't contact, so the first thing would be to say, let's, let's put it in terms for a human being to say, um, I am okay. Just getting them to believe it. So Mm -hmm. I I would say like, okay, every day for the next seven days, I want you to wake up in the morning and three times look in the mirror. And I want you to say out loud or put it in a voice note in your phone. So it's more tangible. And I want you to say to yourself, I am capable of changing. Just say that, okay? And if they do that, if they do that, they contact reinforcement because saying that feels good. They might not believe it right away. I'm not saying it's going to sit here and it's going to be an overnight success, but at least they're contacting this self-generated praise that feels very good to them. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't get praised. We don't praise ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't praise each other as much as we should. And so by doing that, first, we're just getting them to contact reinforcement. 
And in behavior analysis, when you contact reinforcement, you can start to build off something called behavioral momentum. And so you slowly, yeah. And so you're slowly, it's like, I just got a a image of like a snowball rolling down a hill and the sign on it says behavior. Behavior. That's great. And that's a great analogy. That's a great image because that's what it is. Behavioral momentum is like, all right, we're going, we got something going here. We have something going Mm -hmm. because what people try to do, and this is why change doesn't usually happen is they go, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to stop doing this. Okay. Well, first of all, the response effort for that big goal of yours is way too high. Mm. So you have to lower the response effort, which means make it easy. It needs to be the easiest thing possible for somebody to do the behavior because the easier it is, the lower the response effort, the more likely they are to do the behavior, which is why anytime I work with my clients or anything, I'm like, listen, we have this whole repertoire of behaviors. We want to change for you that you're telling me you want to change. We are going to start very small. We are going to just start small where every morning I just want you to vox for me two things that you praise yourself for, like very small, right? Mm-hmm. So you lower the response effort. Then when you lower the response effort, you increase the likelihood that the human being, that the organism is contacting reinforcement, which means doing this thing is actually now becoming something that is a preferred for them. So they're more, more likely to do it, increase the behavior in the future. Um, the next thing is that in behavior analysis, you you take a large behavior and you break it down into just little tiny behaviors because all behaviors are made up of little small behaviors that eventually lead to this big behavior. So mm-hmm. the other, to, in, to get to your question again, I think the, num- the first thing is people, the believability, the know-how, the helplessness. And then I mm-hmm. will also tack on a few other things, which is um, the response effort is usually way too high. That's why people, these yeah. New Year's resolutions and things like that, people, response effort is way too high. They were just too lofty of goals. I'm like, what are you doing, mm-hmm. dude? And then, then <laughs> the last thing, the last thing, which I'm sure it's not the last, but that's coming to mind right now, is that, um, well, they don't contact reinforcement, but then also mm-hmm. um, they don't break it down into smaller behaviors. Got and it. because of that, again, see, it's all connected. Because of that, they're not contacting reinforcement. So it seems as though like, they're like, this is so hopeless. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to lose this much weight. I'm never going to stop talking to this person. Let this ex go. I'm never going to, you know, pay off this mortgage or this debt, like whatever, because they make these behaviors are too um, intense and too overwhelming that it becomes aversive. I feel so massively called out right now. (laughs) I literally had this conversation with my coach last week that they were saying like, Nikki, can you take 10 minutes every morning to like go sit in quiet and drink your coffee? And I was like, you can tell me to do that. And I know I should do it. And I will tell you, I will do it for a week. And then one thing is going to happen. I'm going to have one off day and it's not going to happen. And we were talking about this. um, We were, I just recently got back from a retreat with my coach and some other people in Costa Rica a few days ago. And yeah. that was the thing. And they're like, Nikki, can you just take time off? And I was like, you don't understand. I can't do that. And someone said to me, how about you just say to yourself that you believe it is possible for you to change? Not that you believe you can change, but you believe in the possibility of change. Yeah. And I was you like, know, I was even, like oh, even to that. Doable. <laughs> yeah. So, so even that's a good point. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because even to that, I would actually push back on that a little bit, not mm-hmm. because it's wrong or it's, it's, it's not to say anything's wrong or whatever. That's not mm-hmm. the point. The point is because if you believe that it's possible to change requires of you, 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 you ha- it requires of you to have that belief already, mm-hmm. which 
is hard for pe- human beings to trust. So yes. usually, and which is ironic because the only time human beings do this is religion where they don't have to see it, but they'll believe it. Oh, that's everything actually fascinating. Else, Whoa. <laughs> everything, yeah. Everything else in life, human beings want to, be- they need to see it and then they'll believe it. Religion mm-hmm. is really the only thing. And I don't know if anybody else can think of anything, any, any other, if any listeners and stuff can think about anything else that ends up popping up, but religion is the only thing. And it's a very vast and, and, and intense, um, concept where people don't have to see it, but they believe it, but everything else they're like, I want to think about it. When they go to invest in you yeah. and your services, they're like, I want proof. I want social proof. Show yeah. me testimonials. I want to see it first and then I'll believe it. And so, and it. so the thing with the saying that I believe it's possible change is people usually don't believe it out about themselves. They mm. usually don't. So what they, so the best thing, what I advise just from my clinical experience and professional experience is first get them to contact reinforcement. Don't, they don't, they don't need to be saying these affirmations, actually affirmations and shit like that doesn't work. But, um, sorry, can I swear? Sorry. Am I allowed to yeah, swear? Yeah, go I'm ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, is, is that, um, you know, first get them into contact reinforcement because when they do, they can, they'll see that, Oh wait, I'm contacting reinforcement. And because they're contacting reinforcement and they're seeing some change on their own, then they can start to, they're actually not just believing as if it's just this thought they're actually mm-hmm. believing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about contact reinforcement. So you've mentioned that one way that you've, you've had people, one thing you've had people do is, you know, praise yourself, leave yourself a voice note and things. What are some other like common methods of contact reinforcement that if someone wasn't talking to you, but they're like, I kind of get this concept that they could go, they could go do, or they could set up for themselves to make sure they're having like Contact reinforcement. reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. So the very first thing we always do in behavior analysis is we do a preference assessment and a preference assessment can, there's tons of different methods of doing it, but essentially it's what are your preferred stimuli? What are the preferred items in your life that, um, you, if I were to put to determine a hierarchy of preferences of stimuli that you prefer, what is that basically? Right. So mm-hmm. there's all these different ways of doing it, especially when I used to work with children with disabilities, we would do it with nonverbal children. We would lay out a bunch of items that we think they like that based on parent report and they would, mm-hmm. whatever we would measure it based on duration. So whichever one they would walk up to first and they, how long is the duration of by which they're playing with this item or whatever. Okay. But for mm-hmm. verbal human beings, and because we are really great at talking about the things that we like and we know what we like for my clients. It's like, what do you, if, if on a scale of one to 10, not a scale, but on a, in a list, a hierarchical list of one to five, like what are your top five most preferred items? And it could be like larger ones or it could be smaller ones. So on the daily, it could be a piece of chocolate. It could mm-hmm. be getting paid. It could be mm-hmm. money. It could be, there, it could be anything. Um, a text from my significant other, what have you mm-hmm. on a larger scale. It could be like, a trip to wherever. Right. Mm. And so you want when people contact or just like feel good feelings. Right. Yeah. So, um, like for example, um, if you were gambling and you win something or you, you like win, I don't know, I don't gamble, but if you win, you're contacting reinforcement in that moment when you just won, but so you're getting money or whatever it is, but also like the feeling of it. Orgasms are another one. So mm-hmm. when you have an orgasm, it's like an internal respondent behavior where it's a feel good feeling. You're contacting reinforcement, right? So mm-hmm. in, in that sense, it's like, you're more likely to engage in the behavior that got you to that reinforcement, which is like that behavior again in the future. Mm-hmm. So essentially you just always want to make sure we know through the science of human behavior that human beings are more likely to engage in a behavior when they are contacting reinforcement, as opposed to when they are contacting punishment or aversive stimuli. 
So that means it could be mm-hmm. rubber bands, like a shock. Mm-hmm. Like that's why people hate going to the dentist. It always hurts. You're not contacting any reinforcement. <laughs> you know, it just, it, whatever, that, okay. You know, so they, that's why I hate the dentist. Cause I, yeah, cause I just, it yeah. hurts. me, me at this point, everything I've been through with the dentist, I'm like, I hate it. You know, so it's just been so much. <laughs> It's been ridiculous. Speaking of which, I was there this morning. I'm like, this has got to be a joke. Um, oh my goodness. So, yeah. So no, but, no so reinforcement. Just, okay. <laughs> well, actually, I did get reinforcement because A, it didn't hurt. And also, too, I was laughing a lot with them. They were very like, and so I was contacting mm. reinforcement in that way. And so what happens is you have schedules, something called schedules of reinforcement. And I won't get too much into it, but essentially everything in the world for humans and organisms is on some type of schedule of reinforcement. The most common example I could give you is our paychecks. Well, not mm. ours because we have our own, but, but like a general paychecks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Generally bi-weekly paychecks, like in the, in the States, people get paid generally every two weeks. So that mm-hmm. is on the schedule of reinforcement. I would call it a fixed, um, interval. So you have fixed ratios and fixed intervals. So essentially mm-hmm. a fixed interval of 14 an F5, 14, a fixed interval of 14 days. That's a schedule of reinforcement. Every 14 days, I contact this reinforcement. Uh, does that make sense so far? Yeah, totally. So essentially what some organizations are doing now, at, at least I know, what I know of in the States and I think some in England, they're actually setting up schedules of reinforcement for the, their employees. It's called um, a pay performance or like performance pay. You can mm-hmm. decide how many days, every X amount of days you want to get paid so you can contact reinforcement sooner. So some employees oh. are like, I want to be on an FI2 so or an FR2, a fixed ratio of two. So every two days I want to get paid. And actually what it does is it increases efficiency in companies and organizations because the humans, the individuals are contacting reinforcement sooner. Instead what? of waiting fourteen, instead of waiting, <laughs> this is instead so of waiting, interesting. I know it's like a whole area of organizational behavior management, and like in schedules of reinforcement, where it's like because if you think about it, if you go fourteen days without any reinforcement, if the reinforcement is money, and you go fourteen days without any reinforcement, your your work productivity, your efficiency, it all like decreases. But and if I you're feel getting, like yeah, I feel like even too like if you're feeling some kind of way about your job, mm-hmm. and you can go almost like you know, bitching about it for two weeks, get paid. The bitchiness goes mm-hmm. down that last week. Yep. It goes back up. So I can also yep. imagine like getting paid at a, at a quicker interval or shorter interval, like every two days, every week would yep. also just make me probably like my job a little bit more. Well, so that's something story that's, I'm telling myself or not, but no, no, it's a great point. If something is less aversive, it's the opposite of something being an aversive. Is it being a preferred? So it's a preferred mm. stimulus, a preferred environment. So, um, what was the, I was like, let's look at the question. We go on these tangents, but yeah, no, I so like that's, these tangents. Yeah. Let's continue yeah. with these tangents. <laughs> so that's like to answer your question about schedules of reinforcement and contacting reinforcement. Everything is on a some type of schedule of reinforcement. So the very first thing somebody could do is determine, okay, well, how often am I contacting reinforcement? And if my mm. goal is to change a behavior or a thought pattern, I need mm-hmm. to contact reinforcement. If I'm not contacting it enough. So here's a good point. Behaviors that are hardest to change require that you contact reinforcement quicker and sooner and mm. more intent and, and the intensity and the magnitude is in, increased. Now, as you slowly start to engage in that behavior more, so let's say um, you somebody wants to lose weight, a very common mm. New Year's resolution. Somebody wants to lose yeah. weight. They need to contact some type of reinforcement very often and quickly and for longer durations of time in the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. Cause it's hard to get them to work out. So like, let's say every time they go to the gym, every single time they're significant others, like, I'm so proud of you, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or they go get their nails done, something that they like to do every time they go to the gym. I don't know. That'd be excessive. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many nails you could get done, but okay. So, <laughs> so many nails. So, right. So many nails. So, um, then over time you can start to thin the schedule of reinforcement. So you mm. start with a very dense schedule and then you can thin it over time where as this person starts to lose weight, but also as going to the gym becomes a more um, a behavior they engage in more often, they don't need as much reinforcement because you built behavioral momentum. Here are your fun facts about New Year's resolutions. Did you know that the ancient Babylonians made the first New Year's resolutions about 4,000 years ago? The ancient Babylonians celebrated the new year on the first new moon after the spring equinox. They called it Akitu, and it was a major festival that lasted 11 days. During the festival, the Babylonians made New Year's resolutions to keep themselves in good standing with the gods. New Year's resolutions were also in ancient Rome. According to the writer Columella, who lived in the first century AD and wrote an ancient Roman version of the Old Farmer's Almanac, farmers were supposed to make an auspicious gesture on the 1st of January by getting started on the task they intended to get done throughout the year. According to a study done by the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania, only 8% of those who make New Year's resolutions actually keep them. In 2013, Google Maps had a project called Zeitgeist. Internet users from around the world were invited to share their resolutions, then Google mapped them and analyzed them, breaking them down into the following categories, health, love, career, finance, and education. What was the most popular in each country? Health-related resolutions are king in the US and Egypt. Australia and Japan, they're looking for love. In Russia, the top priority was education, and in India, career goals were the top of the list. What are the top New Year's resolutions? Twitter did a very scientific study to try to answer that. The top resolutions include diet, exercise, and weight loss, reading more, learning something new, saving money, be a nicer human, get a new job, give more time and money to charity, drink less, sleep more, and make new friends. Okay, so this is this is fascinating to me. And I kind of want to like, run almost like a mini, um, like case study or example on this. But before we do that, you know, we're talking about New Year's resolutions, again, it's probably Mm -hmm. one of the most common parts of the year that people decide to set these new goals. And, and in my research, I was like, Oh, so like 80% of people, sorry, only 8% of people who make resolutions, keep them. Mm -hmm. The most common New Year's resolution is related to diet, exercise, weight loss. You know, what happens in like the because let me back up. So when I was a personal trainer, we used to make a joke that January was packed at the gym by the second week of February is back to normal. So we actually had a lot of our regulars take Jan- take January off from the gym and they would come back in February. Mm-hmm. So why do people, I'm going to use the word give up, even though that might be a little bit mean. <laughs> why mm-hmm. do people stop or give up or drop their resolutions so quickly is it related to the context reinforcement is it the the effort was too big like yeah yeah how does it happen so quickly 
It's all of that. It's all of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's all, it's a great question. It's all of it. I think it is. They're not kind of the reinforcement. They didn't break down the behavior into smaller behaviors. So essentially like the goal was too big. Whereas like you mm-hmm. need, listen, if you say I'm going to just go to the gym twice in the next three days. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's say you actually go. You just go, wow, I went to the gym twice in three days. I just contacted reinforcement because I just did the thing I said I was going to do. Oh, so you're saying that is a better way to state it instead of I'm going to go to the gym twice a week on going. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I think you just blew my mind because you're right. Because like, again, we think of with like weight loss, I'll use again as an example for a resolution. We, we often contact, contact reinforcement with when I get to a goal weight, I get to do something. When I Mm -hmm. get, you know, a frequency, I get to buy a new gym outfit or whatever, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like Mm -hmm. the, the, the length of time to give yourself that reward can be long, you know, it could be a Mm -hmm. month. It could be six months if you go for like a specific. um, It's a very long time to go without human, without reinforcement. Yeah. But I love this idea of like, it's just within the next three days, go twice. And then at the end of that three days is the idea that you would almost like reassess or set the new like ratio interval. Yep. Because you just lowered the response effort too. You made the behavior Mm. more likely to happen because you decreased the response effort. If you say over the next month, I'm going to go twice every two weeks, that response effort is so high because the, the, it's like a very looming task. Whereas like, just break it down, make it smaller, make the response effort smaller and more likely to happen. You always want to make behaviors so much so that the human being is more likely to engage in them. So what what, if I, if I pose it to you in one of two ways, Nikki, which one are you more likely to do? Are you more likely to go to, and this has a lot to do with, um, an area of like, um, cost and cost and risk benefit and analysis and all that in an area mm-hmm. of behavior. But it's like, if I say Nikki, okay, go to the gym twice a week for the next two months or go twice in the next four days, which are you more likely to do? I love the twice in the four days because exactly. I know what my schedule is for the next exactly. four days. Exactly. I kind of, exactly. I know what's on the horizon, but if you're, if you're asking me to look two months in advance, I'd be like, yeah, this sounds doable. But then it could be, I got to watch my nephew for a few days. I'm traveling. Yeah. I have a new client onboarding. Yeah. I get ill. And then that fucks with my schedule. Actually, you just brought up another, you just brought up another good point. The Mm. other thing too, in behavior analysis that you want to do is you want to control for confounding or extraneous variables. And what that that means is- That sounds really fancy. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that exciting. It's an excellent alliteration. Sorry, say it one more time. It's confounding or extraneous variables. So confounding variables are things, well, it's more extraneous variables, which is AKA for like things you can't control. Mm-hmm. Or things that are like, out of, so that's, that would be one of them is things popping up in your schedule mm-hmm. and you can't, but if you know, within the next three days, if I say go to the gym twice in the next three days, you have more, there's more of a chance you're probably going to be able to control, control the extraneous variables. So that way you can control the environment and control your behavior. The whole point of behavior analysis is to predict and control behavior. Ah. <sighs> Okay. So you brought up something really interesting here, like predicting and control behavior. So mm-hmm. we got to be careful with that. There's some people. Yeah. Who, yeah I was just like, that's a, that's it, yeah. again, uh, you know, go with the meaning as intended, not the implications of the meaning. But a lot of times, you know, in the personal development space, in the consciousness coaching space, we talk about toxic behaviors, toxic thoughts, you know, basically the the bad shit that we do and think about that takes us away from our purpose, away from our values, away from what, whatever context we're using. So how Mm -hmm. would you define toxic in this case? Hmm. 
That's a good question. Toxic in terms of toxic to oneself. Well, I guess that's a question too, right? Because uh, again, a lot of the rhetoric we hear is just like how to get rid of your toxic behaviors. And yeah. I'm like, I don't, what well, is toxic? I don't know if I agree. Okay, so that's yeah. a good question. So I don't know if I agree with that rhetoric. First of all, mm-hmm. because I think when you say, "Here's what," here are my thoughts on that. When you <laughs> say me. toxic, when you say when you say toxic behavior, not you, but like when somebody says when you, we see all this, you know, in the self development mm-hmm. space, toxic behaviors. It's as if the person is wanting to engage in a toxic behavior towards themselves. And I don't think human, I don't think humans by nature, I think human beings intrinsically for the most part, generally, unless you have um, a lack of empathy or compassion, which, or a psychopathy, like a psychopath, like psychopath is diagnosed in the DSM five, like lack Mm -hmm. any type of emotion or what have you. Okay. So aside from all that and all those like disclaimers, um, I think that human beings generally want good for themselves. They Mm -hmm. just don't know how to do it and they don't know how to get there and they become discouraged and be this rhetoric. That's like sometimes way overused is like toxic and self-sabotaging. But to say something is, yeah, to say self-sabotaging is to say that like the person, at least when I hear it, I, my interpretation of the word as it's often used is like, you're intending to sabotage yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think human beings want to do that. I think human beings have a really hard time, <clears throat> excuse me, not engaging in behaviors that are, are ones they're not proud of, but I don't think they're doing it. Cause like, Hey, you know what? You know what, Alicia, I'm just going to go self-sabotage. Like, I don't think that's what they do. And then they do something. And then afterwards they're like, shit, I just self-sabotage. Like why they do mm-hmm. that. And then that thought process is what gets them go. Like it, it yeah. starts to okay. become a feedback so, loop. Yeah. So to, not necessarily to to go in and yeah, be like, I'm exactly. going to screw shit up in my own life. Shit up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that that's what people want because people, if the, if it is what people wanted, if it is what people wanted, they would be, think about the repercussion and the consequence of it. They'd be like, Oh great. I did exactly what I wanted to do, but that's not what they do. Instead they like self-loathe and they feel guilt and they feel shame. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question though, I think like if I had to define like toxic quote unquote or self-sabotaging, it would be doing things engaging in behaviors or thought patterns that move you away from your values mm-hmm. that requires of a human being to first the antecedent and the prerequisite to that is to know what your values are, but it would be to do mm-hmm. anything that moves you away from your values. Because at the end mm-hmm. of the day or at the onset of the day and any day, a human being should always, I, I think what we, I hate should, but what we always really all want is to move toward our values. Mm-hmm. And so to do otherwise, I think becomes a bit self-sabotaging if we're going to use that word. Yeah. So this, again, this just made me think of, you know, we're getting into the holidays at the time of this recording. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talking about like self, you know, maybe perhaps not exactly the right terminology, but toxic or self-sabotaging behaviors. And it makes me think of, um, let's say you're going home for the holidays or you're, you're going to meet your family for some sort of event. I'm going to use families as an example, because I feel mm-hmm. like this shit's going to show up a lot with families. And I feel like there are experiences that when you're like out of your hometown, you're away from your parents, your behavior is very different. Your values have changed and, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's going really well for you. But as mm-hmm. soon as you get put back in your hometown with your parents yeah, it, it's almost like I'm going to use the term backslide. I don't think it's an accurate term, but but like you 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 revert to old mm-hmm. patterns of behavior and thinking. 
why? <laughs> why does that yeah. happen? It's a great question. You know, it's something I actually personally experienced, which is why like mm-hmm. when I was speaking with you about being in Michigan and stuff like that, it's very hard for me because I slipped right back into that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how? Because when I left Michigan, I did so much work to not be the person that I was not proud of being here and being back here. I was like, I was describing to you on offline. You and I had conversations about just like, I, I just didn't, I don't like being here because it does. And to, to answer your question, it's pairing. So in behavior Mm. analysis, we pair, um, like, let's say something is aversive to somebody. So for example, going to the dentist again, we'll just say that is mm-hmm. usually aversive to little children at first. So what do you do? You give them like a sucker or their favorite toy. And over time you mm-hmm. pair the aversive with this con- one mm-hmm. condition with another condition. And over time, then you can fade out to this one condition. And now this one that we used to not like becomes a thing. So that mm-hmm. pairing association can happen though with any two conditions. And so uh-huh. in this example that you're in your question is, pairing behavior with environment, Mm -hmm. pairing a behavior with environment, pairing a per it actually can even happen. I mean, they even found like in the past, like it would happen with like me and like certain guys that like, I was like no longer talking to, but somehow they had like Mm -hmm. pop back up and like shoot me a text or a DM. And it's like, Hey, look in the picture. It's like, dude, why? You know? And it's like, my patterns, no, go away. (laughs) (laughs) And it was consent to this pairing. I'm trying to unpair. And so sometimes the goal is to unpair. And so what happens is like, it's pairing behavior with mm-hmm. an associate, pairing it with environment, pairing it with people, mm-hmm. pairing it with what have you. And so we just jump right back and engage in that behavior again. And there was never an unpairing process that usually Ooh. took place. Yes. Yeah, and there was I never actually, like a behavioral breakup that you processed <laughs> and went through. I love that. Behavioral breakup. I love that. Da, 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 Can da, we get da, some da, show da, notes da. on this? Behavioral <laughs> breakup. Yeah. I feel like it's yeah. either a really good like pop punk song or like some weird yeah. like <laughs> Netflix rom-com series. Behavioral <laughs> breakup. How I unpaired from my shitty high school boyfriend. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, actually. And I think that, like, the Blink-182 song is in the background of that. I think oh, my perfect. God. Yes. Okay. We're going to go sell this. We're going to pitch this to Netflix. I know. We, you this should stop recording happening. right now. We need to patent this. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. We'll be back. <laughs> no. Okay. That's Even so interesting. Netflix, behavioral yeah, breakup. Yeah. But I love that because, you know, that's a really... Um, I'll say a common example or a common experience people have is when I go back to a past environment or a, a past mm-hmm. group of friends, mm-hmm. I, I I renew my parent. It's almost like my Bluetooth syncs up with that group mm-hmm. again, and I mm-hmm. have to deal with that. What are some other examples of of like behavioral pairing and like where oh, in order to make changes that- happen, we gotta we gotta we gotta break that pairing? So it, God, it happens everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it could just have, like, let's say that over time, oh gosh, I'm just trying. Yeah. Like let's use like the, maybe the losing weight resolution metaphor again. What, so someone who maybe doesn't succeed or have success in the way that they want to, what is an example of like um, a pairing that they didn't break that is preventing them from moving forward with that goal? Yeah. I just think Pat, like, so essentially the thoughts or the feelings of, okay, well, let's do this. If every time you mm-hmm. get on a scale um, mm-hmm. and the number isn't what you want, you're pairing the scale with an aversive condition. So you're mm-hmm. pairing like over time, you're like, it's never what I want. It's never what I Got want it. over time. It's like always this thing where mm-hmm. if you can unpair 
or you could pair with something else. So not get on a scale and let's say do body fat percentage. Ooh, this is a good Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Because think about it. We know that as if anybody who knows anything about like, um, weight gain and body fat percentage, sometimes, (coughs) excuse me, the scale is higher in number, but the body fat percentage is lower. Yeah. And so you could unpair, you know, you want to re repair, unpair, whatever, carry (laughs) your association with body fat percentage and going to the gym might be a better, more healthy, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. like pairing of two stimuli because that might be less aversive and you're more likely to contact Mm -hmm. reinforcement and see progress and build behavioral Mm -hmm. momentum that way. Whereas like, I know for my brother, he's like, Alicia, the weight, the number went up. I'm like, dude, you've been working out with your trainer. You have more muscle now. And like the number could Mm -hmm. be going up on the scale. But if you, we did body fat percentage, it might be going down. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally. Cause then again, I think it, again, it's almost like, um, I'm thinking of like, just like some, you know, some scientific experiment stories that that are used often as an example is it's like, you know, you take away a toy and you give a toy with this example, particularly. Yeah. It's like, maybe it's body fat percentage. Maybe it's photos. Maybe it's none of those. Maybe it's my energy levels or, you know, how I look in a certain outfit or, you know, it's all these things. So something that you mentioned, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say to really quickly touch on your point. One of the most famous examples of pairing is Pavlov and the classical conditioning of the gal and the dog. That's the most common. That was the first example of pairing is, and then over time he he paired the meat powder with the sound of the bell. And just Mm -hmm. so for people who don't know, um, Pavlov paired the um, meat powder with the dog to the sound of a bell. And over time the dog would salivate. And then slowly over time he faded out the meat powder and just had the bell. And just at hearing the ring of the bell, the dog would salivate. And so that was mm-hmm. the pairing. And so then to unpair, that would be a whole shebang. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So something you mentioned too, going back to this example of the parents, you know, it's an mm-hmm. environmental thing. And sometimes I'll use environment as an example. We do not have the ability to impact our environment, whether it's because, you know, I'm thinking the pandemic specifically, it was not possible for many people to change their environments, to get out and do things like it wasn't straight up possible. So you, or so people you think. Who are, yeah. Okay. So, or like, perhaps you're like, you know, perhaps you're in uh, a situation where you're like, I need to get out of town, but either like resources, job, money is not available to you. So in those mm-hmm. types of scenarios where you may feel like, I Mm -hmm. don't actually have control over this. Like I cannot travel. I cannot go to a restaurant, you know, those types of things. How would you address uh, pairing or, or uh, changing or adjusting behavior in, in circumstances when you believe right or wrong Mm -hmm. that you don't have the ability to change or, or impact something around you? Yeah. That's a great question. So the number one thing when it comes to changing behavior is first change the environment. And if you can't change the mm-hmm. environment, you know, BF Skinner always said, look to the environment. If you can't look to the environment, then look within the organism and, and take it from there. Mm-hmm. I, in that situation, in terms of COVID, it was in the pandemic. It was a great example. We couldn't change our environment. I would say secondary environments, but our immediate environment within our homes, we could. And the very first thing I would say to do is prompts. Prompts are mm. anything in your environment that cue your behavior or help you to engage in the behavior. A very simple example would be um, you have, there's different types of prompts and I won't get too technical, but you have like within stimulus prompts. So for example, the um, red, like within a stop sign, the stop sign mm-hmm. itself is like a prompt to stop. The red, mm-hmm. we associate with that color with like being a, pr- to, okay. But within your home, a prompt could simply be something as, 
um, sticky notes, writing sticky mm-hmm. notes, writing, you know, your behavior change goal or wh- whatever, or a thought that you want to reframe on a sticky note and putting it around your environment. So you're still mm-hmm. manipulating your environment in that way. Um, Got prompts it. are even just the, even things like the microwave beeping and going off. That's a prompt to signal mm-hmm. to you that it's done, what have you. Okay. So to mm-hmm. change your own behavior within the pandemic and having to be just confined to somebody's home, I would say little small changes in um, environment. So to setting up prompts, um, mm-hmm. rearranging your immediate, immediate environments. Um, there's just so many examples that there are just little small examples that people often that, that, that are overlooked because we don't think about it that way. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Cause again, I think sometimes to your point about like the initial effort of change, we always have these I'll call them delusions of grandeur. I'm going to make this huge change. Or if I want to change my home environment, I have to get new furniture. I have to get new paint. I have to like get interior decoration. But you're really saying, again, focus on the small stuff that you can control because it's Mm -hmm. going to have a cumulative effect. Oh, for sure. And also too, little small changes produce larger changes. Mm. And you're more, again, remember, you're more likely to contact a reinforcement. You're more likely to start to build some behavioral momentum. You just got to get, you just got to get going little small changes. We, we get too grandiose in our ideas of how we're going to change mm-hmm. our behavior, which is so pathetic because human behavior is the hardest to change. Mm-hmm. We are complex oh, yeah. creatures. <laughs> we're so, we're so complex. You know, we are and we're not. We are in our mind, you know, we are and we are not because... So long as you know what to do or how to do it, or you have somebody guiding you who knows what they're doing, it's not hard. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why like a lot of my clients make so much progress is because like, I'm like, no, this is what we got to do. Right. And also too, knowing that when something doesn't, when you're going astray or when you're not going in the direction you want to, how to redirect a behavior. Redirection is really important. Mm -hmm. So uh, to kind of wrap this up, let's say someone comes to you and they're like, Alicia, new year, new me. What are like, you know, those top guiding principles that you would share with them on if this is a direction and something you're, you're, you're committed to in a direction you want to go in here are the, here are the main guiding principles or the key steps to remember to actually yeah. making this happen. Yeah, I'd be like, really? New Year? New you? No, just <laughs> I have the merchandise. I have the calendar. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> I have the calendar. I have the 2022 calendar. Everything is yeah, good true. to go. Let's true. see how long that lasts. Um, yeah. To answer your question, number one would be value identification. Identify your values. And that requires support and help because people are like, oh yeah, these are my values. I'm like, are they really though? Or are they the values that you think you should be living by? And are they the value? Because what happens is a lot of times is people will um, see a prompt just went off in my environment to tell me that my washer was done. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so value identification, definitely number one. Um, but identifying values, and even if they're ones that you don't, you're not currently embodying or living by, they mm-hmm. still need to be identified because if you want to include, if you want to incorporate the value and move toward it in your life, you have to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's really important to know that values are not behaviors. Values are, they are, um, like a compass. They guide our behavior. Yeah. So they're not specific. They're not specifically behaviors. So number one, value identification from that no, pattern recognition, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. where there is patterns, there's information. Mm-hmm. Start to know, like identify where the patterns are in your life and which mm-hmm. patterns are moving you away from your values or toward your values. And from there, mm-hmm. then I would say, 
work with somebody who knows what they're doing because you're going to need support. You're going to need guidance. You're going to need help because to move towards your values is something that everybody wants to do, but it's very easy to go off track. And it's also very mm-hmm. easy to get discouraged if you're not moving towards your values. So, and, and here's the thing th- I know those two main points seem very small and like that's it, Alicia, that's all you got, but they are actually monumental in people's progress. Because people, mm-hmm. so many people don't, the very first thing I have any client do is I'm like, all right, listen, value identification, we're doing it. We might spend a week on it. And they are like shocked after. They're like, I didn't even realize that I don't know what my values are. And a lack of values and a lack of direction is usually where a lot of people are like, ah, so you either have direction or you have lack of direction. And when you want to engage in certain behaviors, you have to know what direction you want to go in. Damn. Boom. Mic drop. Okay. So this was you know, it, it was I a guess, mic drop or was that a sniffle? <laughs> I, you know, to me, it feels like a mic drop. Cause again, it's, it's kind of reinforcing these ideas and these patterns that, you know, small is fine. It's okay. Like you need to be making long lasting things. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love this so much. Thank you for sharing your genius and your wisdom. Before we wrap up, I am going to ask you uh, to join me in our lightning round to check in Mm -hmm. on talking and fun things. So I really do need, I really do need a fancier name for this segment as uh, was discussed in in another episode. I'm horrible at naming things. So this is like wrap Uh up lightning round. I don't know. We're Later. I like Names it. Come it's, later. Fine. it's fine. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. okay. So first question, Alicia, mm-hmm. if you were mm-hmm. going to a dinner party and you got mm-hmm. to choose the topic of conversation for the entire night, what are mm-hmm. you choosing? Outer space. hundred percent. I want to talk about the galaxy. Space. I just, I love it. I've always loved outer, the galaxy, outer space, um, anything related to just like space in the universe. Like I, I think I could go off on a tangent here, which I won't, but like essentially like, um, you know, I was raised Greek Orthodox and I was very, but I'm very much agnostic now and like the creation of just like mankind. But I'm like, you know, what's happening out there in the world and what's happening out in the universe and the galaxy. Like I'm obsessed and Neil deGrasse Tyson, like I'm, he's my dude. I love him. <sighs> I love like, yeah. So I'm all about like what life on other planets, hundred percent. We're talking about outer space. Oh my God. I love that so much. We should have a party where we talk yeah. about outer space. All right. For uh, sure. Next I'll wear question. my rings. <gasps> I have a, when I visited NASA, quick segue, I was at, um, uh, NASA's, um, Kennedy space center in Florida a few years yeah. ago. And yeah. I got a zip yeah. up hoodie that on the back said rocket scientists. And it was the single greatest purchase I've made in my entire life. Cause it was so dope. I love it. Um, okay. I love it. <laughs> question number two. If I were to ask you to give a five minute talk right now about something not related to your work, what would it be? Could it be something of my choosing? Yeah. Anything you want, as long as it's not your job, but you got to give a five minute talk about it. I could give a five minute talk about a lot of things. I love to talk and I like watch really weird documentaries, but it'd probably be, be on Palestine. A lot of people don't know, like I'm, I'm Palestinian. A lot of people um, don't truly understand the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. They don't really understand what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's not just because of it's who I am, but it's also a um, humanitarian crisis. It's an apartheid mm-hmm. crisis. There's a lot of things there that people just don't know about. So I would probably go on for much longer than five minutes to anybody who would listen about Palestine and what people really need to know about that. Ooh, okay. That's deep. And I love that yeah. very much. I think we should yeah. talk about that later. Cause I would like to know at the uh, outer space right. party. <laughs> yeah. Outer, outer space, space party. party. We will also okay. talk about Palestine. It'll be great. Yeah. Um, okay. weirdest, weirdest birthday party ever. <laughs> 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 All right. Question it. number three, who is your favorite talker? 
actor, performer, okay. speaker? Who, who do you like to listen to, to talk? Oh gosh, I have. Can I give you? Okay, so Ayan tell me, Lay on me. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Ayan Hersiali, she's one of my favorites. Okay, Jordan B. Peterson, I love him to death. Although his voice can get like, so, there's times where I go, I can't do him today because <laughs> because it's just like I need to calm down in my mind. So I'm like, I need uh, Sam Harris definitely. Uh, Sam Harris is like just every, anything he talks about, but also like his. Are we talking about like like to listen to their voice because it sounds pleasing, or the topics that they talk Whatever. about? Whatever, it can be both. Okay, so okay, so it's that. It's it would be Ayan Hirsi Ali, Sam Harris, definitely Jordan B. Peterson, um, Lex Friedman. Love, love Lex Friedman. I got, I love it. Love me some of him. Um, because I'm a big podcast person, and yeah. then I think um, Peter Atia has such a great radio voice, so I love to listen mm-hmm. to him. But those are like my go. Those are my go tos. Ooh, those are good ones. Oh, oh All right. but also too, Ooh. also too, I, yeah. I can't believe I forgot these. I, every single night, I think my, I probably should not admit this because it's fine. Actually, every night ends with me watching at least one YouTube video of Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. Cause they make me laugh so hard. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? My, I want to end my day with a good laugh. And I'm not partnered, but if I did have a partner, my partner would have to be somebody who makes me laugh. But since I'm not, I just resort to YouTube videos of Jimmy so you, Kimmel. You, or Jimmy got, you got you got one of the Jimmys right there with you before the bed. Jimmy. I love that. <laughs> All right. Final question. What is yeah. the last information rabbit hole you went down? Maybe it was YouTube. Maybe it was Wikipedia. Maybe it was Reddit. Yeah. Where did you start and where did you go? NFTs. NFTs. Ooh. I was like... Well, yeah. And ever since I did, I've been getting all these really weird messages that it's like, maybe I should never went down this rabbit hole, but I'm <laughs> very much like trying to understand like Bitcoin and like all of that and like NFTs and what's this and what that, but I went down like this really, and I'm like, what is happening? There's just so it's over my head. I don't understand why I can't understand it. And so I'm more bothered by the fact that I can't understand it. That's the first one. The second uh, rabbit hole I went down is headaches and the sensation Ooh. that we get from a headache. So my cousin is a um, neurology resident at Cornell. And I was like this, cause the brain doesn't have pain receptors. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is sometimes why like sugar kills your brain cells, but we don't feel that because the brain doesn't have pain receptors. Mm-hmm. Whereas like your skin does and all, and that's why if you like get burnt by something or somebody pinches you really hard, you feel it cause it has pain receptors. But I just am very interested in understanding where the sensation of a headache comes from. If we it's not usually it's not localized to one area. And it's, so just like that is very weird to me because you can't, okay. you know, you feel a headache, but you can't see it. You doctors don't really know where it's coming from where I'm like, where is it? Oh my God. <laughs> As someone who gets like headaches and chronic migraines, I think it just blew my mind. Cause I was like, yeah. Where do headaches come from? What? Yeah, I know. Oh my God. Okay. I feel like that's going to be my rabbit hole that I'm going to go down today. It's going to be, tell me about headaches. Why, why are yeah. they there? Do they even happen? Oh my God. Okay. I feel like it's wild. so much, so much good information was dropped in this episode. So many things that I now want to go into rabbit holes about. Rabbit hole. Alicia, you're amazing. You're brilliant. I always like hanging out with you. Where can people go to find out more about you or to connect with you? They could go to my Instagram. My account is alicia.nasser, N-A-S-E-R, or they can go to my website, alicianasser.com. Um, all that jazz is there. Or send me an email, contact at alicianasser.com. I love Fantastic. And we will be sure to include all of those links in the show notes. 
Again, Alicia, you're fantastic. I love you. Thank you so much. Everyone, go forth. Talk about your behaviors. Talk about what you want to change. What is your behavioral breakup? What Bluetooth pairing are we destroying? (laughs) And how are we going to contact some reinforcement in the weeks to come? I'm Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Nikki Talks. Thanks so much for listening to the Nikki Talks podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to hang out with me on Instagram, you can find me at Nikki underscore McKnight, M-O-C, or my website at McKnightOC.com.